right, so uh, Justine, a uh, regular preacher here, always brings the Word of God in such a powerful way, such a wonderful way, uh, really goes after the Holy Spirit and gets it right. Cannot wait to hear. I've already heard it in part, and I cannot wait to hear what you got. So she's been sick a little bit too, so pray for her. You know what's super sad is that's not the most awkward moment we've had at this church with Kurt. (laughs) Is it? It's not. We all know. I'm going to put my tea over here. Guys, I woke up yesterday morning just sick as a dog. What does that saying even mean? Should be happy as a dog. Happy as a lab. I don't know. So I'm sipping throat coat today. Um, Kurt just left all kinds of junk up here. Just gonna. (laughs) Oh boy. Well, I'm excited that my fever broke. (laughs) Nothing was gonna hold me back today, I'm telling you. Even though I sound like a man. That'll help bridge the gender gap, won't it? (laughs) Oh, man. So um, my name's Justine, and uh, I am not... um, I'm not a celebrity follower. Do you know what I mean? Like the people that are, like, celebrity followers. They buy the trashy magazines. I'm not going to make you confess. It's okay. Some of you are hanging your heads a little bit. Yeah. So I'm not, like, a celebrity follower. But a few years ago, um, Heath Ledger died. Do you guys remember that? Heath Ledger is an Australian actor, so I cared. And also, I really enjoyed his films. Honestly, he's a great entertainer. And when he died, I felt um, tremendous uh, remorse that he had added value to my life, and I had never prayed for him. Like it actually shook me. Uh, I was, I <laughs> really wrestled actually, didn't I, honey? For quite a while, I was like, I just never prayed for him. I just never prayed for him. Well, um, so now I'm a bit of a celebrity follower, um, not the kind that you think, but um, now when I watch a film and a celebrity um, adds value to my life, I want to add value to theirs. So I am praying for salvation along with the people that I'm praying for you know, just the regular everyday people. <laughs> also on my list are a few celebrities. Um, there are a few I have my eye on, actually, where I'm like, whoa, you are an evangelist. If you knew Jesus, man, that would be awesome. So, um, and then as you pray for people, have you noticed that you begin to care for them? And, and so I've grown a love for some of these guys. So I get, like, all heartbroken when their marriages don't work out and... You know, when they're on the worst wear list, not the best. Like, those are rough days, you know. <laughs> well, this is a, a Seattle celebrity that has captured my heart a little bit. Um, came onto the scene about a year ago um, and seemed to be doing really well with her career. And then suddenly, um, things have gotten really rough, like really rocky. Um, there's a lot of criticism. Um, a lot of discussion about whether she has any value. Like, just what's being said about her is hurtful. And um, I, I really care. Um, hmm. 
I'm going to turn it on. So this is Bertha. Um, you know, immigrant, I relate. Um, and you know, brought in for a purpose, right? And at first, man, she was rocking it. Um, by the way, have you seen the majesty of who she is? See the little man down in the center of that photo? Look how, look how big she is and strong. Like just designed for her task so perfectly. I mean, don't you just want to, like, yeah, Bertha, you know? I don't feel like you care for her like I do. Um, <laughs> so guys, this is actually from the WOSDOT um, website here. We've got a little dating profile for Bertha. This is from their website. By the way, you can follow her on Twitter and her writer is hilarious. So totally worth following. But here's Bertha's stats. She's one. That's not too old, but um, there's her weight and her height and her length if you're into that kind of thing, you know? And then um, her likes are dirt, small boulders, and perfectly formed concrete uh, rings. Her dislikes sunlight. She's in the right city, right? Um, anyway, hilarious. But here's Bertha. Meet Bertha. In summer of 2013, the world's largest diameter tunneling machine began a historic journey beneath downtown Seattle. Purpose? Dig a tunnel to replace State Route 99. P.S. Not a fan of tunnels. I'm never driving that thing. <laughs> we have earthquakes here. It's scary. All right. Um, so, it was meant to take 14 months. She was meant to chew her way through. 14 months. We're spending a pretty penny on her, aren't we? And um, one day she got stuck. Nobody knew why. We're still not sure why. On the news this week, they were talking about how well it was this big eight-inch steel pipe. Did anyone see that on the news? Yeah. Well, actually, now they're not sure that that was even it. They're having to, like, I can't even do the details because it's so scientific, but they have to create a pressure system, kind of like you would like scuba divers experience, and they're having to pressurize it and then put people inside to try and work out what's wrong with her, and they're going to have to go through that pressurizing acclimatation thing that you do like before you're a diver to even go in to work. It's like so complicated and costly. And now we don't even know. 14 months? Psh, no. Who even knows? She is stuck. Not budging. Doesn't have the energy to move forward. There's a hiccup in her life. I've felt like Bertha, <laughs> haven't you? Ever felt stuck? You're like, I am not feeling like I can move forward right now. Sometimes, not e I don't even know why. <clears throat> what makes you feel stuck? Fear or um, depression or anxiety? Um, your career course? Um, your relationships? What, what makes you feel stuck? That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, Eric is going to pray for us this morning. Thank you, Eric. Lord, I always look forward so much to hearing Justine preach because she puts it all out there 
says the things that we all are secretly thinking, but none of us are brave enough to say. I pray that you would be with her this morning to give her the, the power, the, the bravery, the courage to, to say those things that we need to hear. Uh, I pray that you'd put your hand on her, uh, give her clarity of thought, and just uh, well, strengthen her body as she's been sick. God, I, I also pray uh, for all of the churches here on the east side that we would uh, together be a great representative for you, for Jesus, and that we would be able to counteract the, uh, the, the reputation of Christians as, as cold and uncaring and hypocritical that people would see all of us in our lives say, wow, okay, that is something different. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric. So we're in Luke 7 today. So grab your Bibles. Um, when, uh, when Kurt and I spoke about the next time I would speak, it was in November. We kind of projected out that it would be in January. And so I read through Luke. You guys know my process now. I kind of read ahead and I just look for those speed bumps and say, Lord, what would you want me to sit on and dig through? And, and we got to this story in, in Luke 7. And I love this story, first of all. So I felt a little biased towards it. Um, and so I prayed. I was like, God, is this the one that you would like me to focus on next? And yes, I felt that. And then I felt like that I needed to focus on freedom from sin. Um, so great, I started researching that, and that was in November. Well, little did I know that God was at work. God is at work. Is that awesome? And uh, John Woodbury, who was here at the end of December when John Woodbury shared, um, that message was all about freedom of sin. If you did not hear it, I highly recommend you listening to that. You'll hear a little bit later that it changed my life. And I'm not exaggerating. Changed my life. Then, the past two weeks, Kurt's been talking about freedom from sin. And uh, here we are today, freedom from sin. I didn't know in November God was doing a little mini-series for us. Freedom from sin. Apparently, we need to know a little bit more about freedom from sin. Love when God does that. (laughs) And so today... We're looking at freedom from sin in Luke 7. To save my voice, I have a very handsome assistant. My amazing husband is going to read Luke 7 for us. Luke 7, 36 to 50. Oh, I have to operate. This is tricky. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to come to his home for a meal. Jesus accepted the invitation, went to the Pharisee's house, and took his place at the table. what it was really nice of this pharisee to invite jesus for dinner because to open your home in those days meant something so we're so quick to say that pharisee boo hiss but think about it not all the pharisees opened their home to jesus did they so first of all let's just not like dismiss him okay i think he was starting out well. Um, 
wanted to explain a little bit about the, the dinner and seating arrangements of this time, thanks to some of the commentaries I read. There typically would have been a U-shaped table. So the guys would have sat around a U-shaped table and the servants would have brought the food into the middle. They would have reclined. And um, these are the invited guests. Okay? There were also uninvited guests. Is that weird? Uninvited guests would come and surround the edge of the room to listen to the discussion. Because this was kind of like a little, little conference happening, a little like Q&A or a little political discussion or whatever. And so you could come. This is how people stayed connected. And, and you know, they, now we just tweet about it. And you know what we talked about at dinner. But back then, <laughs> only a few people laughed at that. Twitter, you know, it's the cool thing. No, okay. Um, but they would surround so uninvited guests would come. So that's the scenario. That's what's happening right now. All right? Just then, a woman from the city, who was a sinner, a town harlot, having learned that Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, came with a beautiful alabaster flask of expensive ointment. Who let her in? Uninvited guests, yes. Town prostitute at a Pharisee's house, no. Whoever was manning the door that night, oh man. I just want to know what he thought, the guy manning the door. He might have been a servant to the Pharisee, I don't know, right? I wasn't there. We'll get to ask when we get to heaven, get all the details. I hope that Pharisee accepted Jesus. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? Um, but I wonder if the guy was like, you, you, you're here to see who? Lady of the town? <laughs> no, you do not get to come in. But I'm here to see Jesus. I just, I brought a gift for him. Oh, my master would not be happy to have you here, except you've come to see Jesus. <laughs> You're going to make Jesus look like an idiot. Yes, yes, come on in. Come on in. Clear the way. We've got a prostitute for Jesus. Bring her in. Who let her in? Oh, Jesus. Watch out, Jesus. They're setting you up, man. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and anointing them with ointment. When the Pharisee, who was the host, saw what was happening and who the woman was, he said to himself, This proves that Jesus is no prophet. If God had really sent him, he would know what kind of woman this was who was falling all over him. She's a sinner. And she is, right? I mean, nothing the Pharisee has said right there is bad. I mean, he's just using good judgment. Now, the Pharisees, um, their belief was that your outward actions and behaviors um, is where it was all at. Okay, so it really didn't matter what was going on in your heart as long as you had your outside behaviors in line. So they believed that their eternity, which they did believe in, the Sadducees did not believe that there was an afterlife. They're sad, you see. Sad, you see. Okay, the Pharisees. 
just helps you remember the little mnemonic, right? Just helps you remember. Okay. But the Pharisees did believe in an afterlife. They were waiting for the Messiah. Okay. These guys were on track looking for Jesus. Okay. They just were under the law as they all were. And your behaviors really mattered. And so he's using judgment right now. For a Pharisee to be touched by a sinner, which by the way, this word, um, the original word that, this, uh, that Luke uses, sinner, devoted to sin, not free from sin, preeminently sinful, especially wicked. Okay, she is... Have you ever met anyone that goes to the bathroom and doesn't wash their hands when they're done? You might be one of those people. I have a friend who's like that. You don't have to, don't reveal yourself, it's okay. We're still friends, but I hope he's changed his hand-washing habits since we had this chat. Um, but if you don't wash your hands with soap and water, you're going to grow germs. It's like she just walked out of the bathroom and didn't even, didn't even try with water. I mean, that's the kind of sinner she was. The Pharisee is a hot water, soap, and then follow with a Purell chaser, right? He's like, he is all about cleanliness, and she is the opposite. She's given up. She doesn't care. Please, she is as far from God as you can get. Wasn't he right to say you shouldn't let her touch you? I mean, he was using good judgment. We use judgment all day long, okay? If you drive a car, you use judgment. How far is that? How fast should I go? Is that guy crazy? Like, we're using judgment all the time, right? In relationships, at work. Like, whatever we do, we're using judgment, it, right? Just because you're judging doesn't mean you're judgmental. He's just sizing it up. And this is not smart of Jesus to let her touch him. Hear what I'm saying? He's just a man of the law keeping separate. I've done it. Haven't you? I should not go to that situation. That is far too <laughs> sinful and tempting. I'm not going to go there. Then Jesus spoke up and answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. All right, teacher, Simon replied. Go ahead. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people. 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he had canceled the larger debt. Oh, man. <laughs> this was so far out of the box for Simon. Poor Simon the Pharisee. I mean... Everything he's learned is just getting blown out of the water right now. What do you mean canceling debt? What? What do you mean? What? I mean, this was... What Simon didn't know is that this dinner party was an indicator that everything was about to change. He was having dinner with the Messiah. This is the first chance Simon has to be like, oh, oh, things are changing. The thing we've been waiting for, the thing I've been excited for. 
suddenly she is utterly forgiven and Simon doesn't see his need for a savior. So if you had put these two in a room at any other point, she's the biggest sinner every time. In fact, put them in a crowd, she's always the biggest sinner every time. Suddenly in this moment, she's redeemed and he is the biggest sinner. I mean, that's crazy. For a Pharisee, in this time, this is crazy talk. Poor Simon. (laughs) Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came to your home. You provided no water for my feet. But she rained tears on my feet and dried them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss of greeting. But she has kissed my feet again and again from the time I first came in. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I can take it from here, Josh. Her sins, they are many, been forgiven. So she's shown me much love. If the forgiveness is minimal, the gratitude is minimal. Wait, is Jesus saying it's better to be a crazy sinner first and then get saved? This is weird. Um, Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said amongst themselves, who does this man think he is going around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Beautiful. What a beautiful story. He doesn't say, uh, go and sin no more. That's interesting, isn't it? He just says, You're forgiven. Go in peace. Beautiful. Thank you, guys. What a great story. You know, there are lots of ways we can read and study the Bible. One of them is narrative, narrative application. Okay, so we read a story. Another word for story is narrative. And then we read the narrative and we find ourselves within the story. Okay, so we look at this story, and here's how we normally do it. I'm the Pharisee. I've totally been there, missed what God was doing, believed something stupid, judged someone, right? I mean, who has ever felt like I, the Pharisee? I relate to this guy. So this is how we do narrative study of the word. We cut out a character. We put ourselves in and go, yep, I am that Pharisee. Totally get it. Moral of the story, you need to see beyond yourself. Be aware that God is doing something different than you understand, right? Great, right? Okay woman. I have been that woman. I mean, I have screwed up. I have, I have sinned. I'm a sinner. And yet she comes. She doesn't let anything hold her back from worshiping Jesus. She comes to a Pharisee's house. What? <laughs> Just brave, courageous. Nothing will hold her back from Jesus. I mean, yes, I want to cut, cut her out. I want to put myself in. I want to live that way. Moral of the story. Don't we love that? Narrative. That's the sermon I wanted to preach. We would be done right now. That would be awesome. That is not the sermon that God is letting me preach today. (sighs) Because when I prayed about it, I felt God say to me, you're looking at the wrong narrative. Well, there's only one other character in the story. Jesus cut Jesus out and put myself in? No, sir. What? (laughs) That is not the narrative for me. No, no, no. 
Pharisee, sinful woman, I identify with them. Cut Jesus out and put myself in? That's blasphemy, isn't it? Call myself Christ? It actually made my stomach, like, drop. Like this... Yes, Pharisee, yes, woman, but I am not Jesus. That is a lion that I am unwilling to cross. Sinner, yes, but there is a lion, isn't there? You do not call yourself the Messiah. And what I felt God say to me is, you have drawn a line that is keeping you in bondage. You have drawn a line that I removed. There's only one person in this story who was filled with the Holy Spirit. Only one. And it's Jesus. There's only one person in the story that understands the redeeming blood of Jesus. It's Jesus. There's only one person here who has the life of God in them who knows the end of the story, who can bring love to a lost world. There's only one. It's Jesus. There is only one cutout for us in this story. Now, yes, we learn from the narratives, right, of all the others. But if we don't focus our life on the narrative of Christ, then all we are is in a sin cycle. So this really challenged me. Do you guys, who's with me here? Do you, this is weird, right? And good, and yet I'm scared (laughs) about what this means. I want to talk really quick about a nuance. Um, If you were to define what a Christian is, what what is a Christian? Help me out. What, What is a Christian? You have to be super loud for me. Follower of Christ? Great. Forgiving? Great. Christ in this world? Saved by grace? Yep. Full of the Holy Spirit? Yes. The body? Yep. So we have all these descriptions of what a Christian is. We're a child of God who's in relationship with God, right? That means all kinds of things. Tell me, I'm going to give you two words, and I want you to tell me which one is correct about Christianity. Is Christianity instant or a process? Which one? No, no, you don't get to to say both. (laughs) Choose. Is Christianity instant or a process? Yes. Okay. (laughs) Today, who I am right now, am I broken or whole? Both? Are you sure? Broken and whole. Am I a sinner or sinless? Depends whose eyes you're looking at me with. Because God sees me as sinless. Am I impure or holy? 
do I have works or faith? Whoa, that one tricked you up. (laughs) Yes and yes. Christians are yes and yes. Hypocrite, yes. Redeemed by Jesus, yes. I say stupid things, yes. I say things filled with God's life, yes. I mean, yes and yes, right? Concurrent truths. Not competing. Miraculously concurrent. Miraculously at the same time. Sinner and sinless. It's beautiful. But I want to say there is an order of a lot of these things. Faith without works is dead, James tells us, right? Faith without works is dead. So we need faith and works, right? Are works without faith dead? Yes, yes. So faith without works is dead and work without faith is dead. We can, okay, great. If you had to choose one, faith or works, which would you choose? Faith. Ah, why did you say that so quickly? Because faith is a foundation from which works grow, okay? So, am I a sinner or sinless? I'm going to take sinless as my foundation. And out of that, my, sin, my sinning isn't what it used to be. If you just say, I am a sinner, then you've got, there's no, we have a new life in Christ. So what was is not anymore. So if Christians walk around and say, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner, and that's the only message the world hears, we're only giving them half of the truth. The truth is I'm redeemed and I'm transformed and I've been made beautiful and perfect. And I sin sometimes. Do you know what I mean? There's There's an order, there's a foundational truth, and there's these other things that exist. Once they're in the right foundation, they look differently. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? This is a nuanced thing, okay? It's, it's, so the rest of the time that we're going to talk this morning, I'm going to talk about a nuance that has a concurrent truth. But I'm not going to talk about the other truth. I just want to focus on the one. So if in your head you're like, yeah, well, what she's saying is true, but, yeah, I'm super aware there's a giant but, okay? Super aware that there's a concurrent truth. But I feel like there is a foundation truth that we need. Okay? All right. Final question. Christian, about relationship or task? Relationship, no task? Relationship and task? Concurrent truths? Truth at the same time? Which one's the foundation and which one's the outworking? Relationship first, task. If you do task first, it looks different from relationship with a task added on, right? Task-driven is the Pharisee. So I said I felt like Bertha, that she was stuck, but I'm about to take that back. Because she exists for a task. And when she is stuck, she's failing. She's costing money. She is not worth the cost. 
She's a giant pain because she's failing at her task. You are not a machine created for a task. Being stuck doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're not getting the task complete because it's relationship first, task second. So if you feel stuck and you feel like you're a failure and you feel like you are far from God and you feel like how could he love you because you're not really functioning, that is a lie. Relationship first, task second. Yes? What are we going to do if the Seahawks don't win today? I mean, I mean, are you all going to blame me now? I was just seeing all of you in your beautiful Seahawks gear, and I'm like, what will you wear tomorrow? I don't know. It's going to be weird. Sorry, I don't believe in voodoo football jinxing. You Americans are so funny sometimes. <laughs> All right. So Bertha is a machine, and we are not. But you know what we do have? <laughs> this, is, this is my own metaphor I made up. You're going to be, like, amazed by the brilliance of it. <laughs> it's horrible. Um, I feel like I am a person full of onions, and I'm not supposed to be. Okay? So onions like are filling up me to the point that I can't actually enjoy all the goodness that God has for me because my stomach's full of onions, okay? And what I feel like that Jesus is removing those things layer by layer, layer by layer, setting me free, pulling those onions out, and then I have the room for all of the goodness he wants to fill my life with. I told you it was silly, I know. But we're not a task, a machine that's stuck and failing. We're just a human, a child of God that's full of some onions, and, we, and he just needs to get those out doesn't he? And he is, praise God, he is, layer by layer. Don't you feel it? Layer by layer by layer. Sometimes it feels like a whole big mass of onions get pulled out all at once. Sometimes it feels like this tiny little wispy layer, and you're like, oh, that was so much work to get rid of that tiny little wispy layer. But don't, I mean, that's the truth of who we are. We're not stuck, we're just full of onions. Makes perfect sense, doesn't it, Jesse? <laughs> anyway, back to the line. Let's get that line up, babe. You know, we've drawn a line. Drawn a line. We've just drawn a line. And we've just run that line. We've just drawn a line. You're on the bad side, Jesse. <laughs> he said it. I'm just, I was just repeating so you could all could hear his confession. So we've drawn a line. Now, it's not that that line didn't exist, right? I mean, the Old Testament, there was a line. There was a curtain that hung that separated God from people. Christ came. He tore down that curtain. He tore up this line. Let's talk about it. The sin system, the old system of the law, where there was nothing you could do to be totally clean and set free. Was there? 
I mean, offering after offering after offering every year in the temple to keep clean. This leads to death. This was not God's best plan. This is because the people were like, we don't actually want face-to-face relationship, God. Can't, can't we have a king? Oh, you want us to live that way? Well, let's create extra laws. Like, right? I mean, this system did not do us well. <laughs> Slavery, works-based, life without Jesus, isolation, condemnation, accusation, death. That's what exists over here. As a believer, when we live over here, we have to pretend we're okay. Oh, no, I don't have sin. I'm doing great. Doing great. I am. I am, because if I admit that I have sin, <laughs> you'll all know that I have sin, and then I, I'm stuck, and that's not good. And So I'll just pretend, and we create a facade and a veneer that we are doing great. But if you're living in the sin system, you're not doing great. There's no way to do great here. The Messiah had to come and rip this line up. And so when I read this narrative and said, I can't identify with Jesus, I'm not going, I, I reinstalled a line that God had tore up, right? He ripped it up and he said, leave the sin system behind, come over to the God life. Drew here uh, two weeks ago for Kurt's sermon, he read a fantastic um, passage from Romans in the message. And, and in the message, the kingdom of God is translated or, or, or written as the God life. I mean, this is the God life on this side, okay? This is what we have. Kingdom of God, life with Jesus, wholeness, freedom, life, conviction, discipleship, in relationship. I mean, that's what this side has. So, did Jesus take care of sin or not? Tricky, right? Did Jesus take care of sin? Yes. We live on this side. That's not our place. Did Jesus take care of sin? Okay, do we live on this side? Okay. Then why do we tend to live on this side? <laughs> Stuck. Stuck. I'm just stuck and I'm battling with sin. <laughs> Why? Whether we feel it, whether we continue to sin or not, doesn't matter. Jesus take, took care of sin. That's a foundational truth. You were dead because of your sins, and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away, then God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins. He canceled the record that contained the charges against us. He took it and destroyed it by nailing it to Christ's cross. We live here, not because of anything we've done, right? Jesus took care of it. When you live here, you have to fix things before you can be with God. When you live here, you live with God and he's fixing things. Did you hear that? 
When we live here, you have to fix things to be with God. When you live here, you're with God and he's fixing things. Get that? Subtle, right? Subtle. Who took care of your sin? You or Jesus? Say it louder. Oh, there's the 12th man. Guys, what if, what if sin isn't keeping us here? Because again, is sin taken care of? Okay. So what if sin isn't keeping here, but a belief in the sin system is? If Jesus took care of it, then we should just be here. Shouldn't we? So it's not sin that's keeping us here. It's a belief that Jesus didn't take care of our sin. Oh, doesn't that hurt? Do we believe Jesus took care of sin, or do we believe that Jesus didn't take care of my sin? Whoa, that just feels big to me. Anyone else? It's a poverty mentality. Taken out of poverty, but still like living like we're in it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? We've been redeemed, and yet it's like our minds are hanging out in the sin system. Glory to God. What? We live like this, don't we? Oh, I'm just stuck. I can't be set free. I have no idea what freedom feels like. Wow. Satan is a liar, and we believe him. You do not belong to the sin system. It doesn't even exist anymore. It's been superseded. It's been abolished. It's gone. It's like you're still trying to speak Latin. It's a joke because it's not spoken anymore. It's never. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Good one. He said good one. I'm uncomfortable, so I'm making jokes. You know that's how I am. <laughs> you guys, this is so foundational, isn't it? We're in this empowered series. We're talking about being empowered and like doing what the Holy Spirit tells us to do. But how can you be obedient when you're... <laughs> oh, Holy Spirit, I hear you, but you don't understand what I'm wrestling with today. This is foundational. We have to know who we are in Christ, not because of anything we've done. Okay, my story. You want to hear my story? Well, you've got to know some stuff about me. I um, grew up in the church, and I've known Jesus my whole life. Baptized in the Spirit when I was about nine years old. Um, I've been ministering with God for as long as I can remember. I've done crazy stuff with God. That's awesome. I've prayed for people and and seen them healed. I've prayed for impossible situations and God has done stuff. And I mean, I know God is real and I know he's alive and I know he's at work. I moved across the world before the internet was a thing. Um, and so I couldn't even look up what America was like. All I knew was in the movies. It's kind of the same. And, um, you know, I just came here because God said, you know, we took, 
I mean, it was so stupid, honey, wasn't it? We took, like, masses of junior highs to crazy parts of the world to tell people about Jesus. Who does that? Well, God told us to, so we did it, and we saw miracles, miracles every time, crazy stories of provision, healing, like, just on and on and on. I mean, God is big, and, and he says, do something, and I say, yes. That's just who I am. Except... I have been stuck in fear for most of my life. Which might seem weird, because I do all this crazy, adventurous, courageous stuff, but the fear that I have is the fear of um, the what-if. Now, I can go and do crazy things as long as I've worked out the worst-case scenario and worked, how I w- worked out how I would survive it. Okay, so if you ask me, do you want to do this thing? I'll be like, yeah, now it could go horribly wrong, and here's how it could go horribly wrong. Yeah, I could deal with that. Let's do it. Okay? So I'm like, I'm worst case scenario. So if you, actually people, in fact, several people have spoken to me and said, you need to use faith words. Sure. Great. Um, You don't understand. I am dealing with fear. And the way I deal with fear is I call its bluff, I work out a system, I find a solution, and then I can have faith, okay? I've tried to get free of it. At its, at its strongest day, my fear convinces me that I'm not saved. Wow, you're still battling with fear? Well, clearly you're not a child of God because Christians don't have fear. So then you're not saved. I know, you're probably saying that's ridiculous, Justine. That's stupid. Sure, I know can't get free of it. If you have not been hounded by fear, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But what has you stuck? What little repetitive thing in your mind keeps you stuck? Because I might call that stupid (laughs) when you tell me what it is. Because from the outside of it, it looks powerless because it is. It's a lie. But from inside it, we are like Bertha, stuck underground, unable to move, paralyzed, paralyzed. Well, For years, God's been at work freeing me from sin. I know he has been. I know he has been. But I've still felt like it's a strong hold in my life I can't get free from. Well, I told you that John Woodbury's sermon changed my life. Here's what happened. John said, fear is a sin. Well, duh, of course. But why have I never connected those dots before? Suddenly, I was like, Oh, yeah, fear is a sin. It's the opposite of trusting God, right? Fear is the opposite of trusting God. And so I just prayed during that sermon. If you were sitting near me, you would have known. I sobbed my brains out that whole sermon. He just, it may not have been for anyone else. It was for me that day. (laughs) Sermon rocked my world. So I just prayed like, God, I am so sorry that I've been sinning against you all these years by fearing and not trusting you. Because, guys, I trust God. I know how to trust him. I don't have a problem with that, except for this little area. And then the second thing that happened is that sin is, uh, fear is a sin. <laughs> oh, it's just a sin. It's not a stronghold. It's not my identity. I'm not stuck in sin. I mean, stuck in fear. Fear is just a sin. Oh, well, Jesus has taken care of sin. 
Oh, fear is just a little sin. It's just an onion that God's peeling away. It's not my identity. It's not who I am. It's not everything I am. It's not keeping me from being saved. It's not, it's not my truly who I am. It's just a sin. Man, I was set free that day in that sermon. So cool. Um, because guys, on my foundation of relationship sin. Now, here's the nuance. You're saying, but sin is a big deal. Yes, giant but. It is, isn't it? It is. Sin is a big deal, and we should stop sinning. That's not, that's not the foundation. That's works. With Christ, I will stop sinning. Without him, I will never get free of it. I will be stuck for the rest of my life. Do you see it? Do you see what I'm saying? Okay, guys, Okay? It has to be over. This, this has to be over in our minds. Kurt preached um, the next week about sin. You should go back and listen to that. He goes through a whole chunk of Romans about this very same topic. My friend Faith prayed with me about um, fear. She just prayed this like outrageously bold, like pulled out her sword, prayed against the spirit of fear. And then um, my friend Babette, came and gave a word about, um, she said, I just have a picture for you. I see an eraser, and I feel like God is saying to you, she has no idea about this. Oh, she probably does. She's fairly prophetic. God tells her stuff. By the way, I kind of hate that sometimes when someone's like, God told me that you're wrestling with fear. It's like, thanks for telling everyone, God. (laughs) Have you ever felt that way? Well, you're like those prophetic people. They know stuff. Well, God's not trying to shame or embarrass you. He's just trying to set you free. Get over it. <laughs> right? Just get over it. So Babette says, you know, um, eraser, I just see an eraser, and God is saying, I am erasing your fear. I am the one that will do it. Peeling those onions away. You guys, just back to back to back. Just set free. There is no line for me anymore. It's cool. Do I still struggle with fear? Yeah, sure. It's just a sin. I talked to Jesus about it, you know, because he conquered sin. So, you know, I just tell him about it, and he helps me through it. Because it's not who I am. I'm not stuck. I just got a little onion. (laughs) I know, it's so weird. I told you it was weird, didn't I? How, How about you? Have you ever been stuck? Felt stuck? Feeling stuck right now? Well, it's just a little sin. It's not who you are. It's not your identity. If you think it's keeping you from God, you're being lied to. Absolutely. Satan is horrible. I mean, truly. The word says, Peter says, it's like a lion looking to devour. Yeah making you think like you're a stuck failure? I'd call that devouring, wouldn't you? Robbing your life of strength and victory? Yeah, that would be devouring. I feel like God's saying to us, it's time for your mind to cross that line and rip it up and be done with it. The line is gone. Jesus changes everything. You are not stuck. You're not. It's not real. It might feel super real, 
But with Jesus hand in hand with him, he'll hold you and he will peel those layers back. And you'll be free a little more each day. But if you think it keeps you from him, how can you partner with him to have those onions be removed? You're not stuck. But don't just believe me. Let's see what the word of God has to say. Ready? We're going to do a um, sprint. Ready? Open up your heart and your mind, okay? It is not that we think we can do anything of lasting value by ourselves. Our only power and success come from God. Amen? He is the one who has enabled us to represent his new covenant. This is a covenant not written of law, but of the spirit. The old way ends in death. The new way, the Holy Spirit, gives life. Yes? Now, the Lord is spirit. And wherever the spirit of the Lord is, he gives freedom. And as the spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like him and reflect his glory even more. Onions. You see those layers? More and more and more. Another translation says, glory to glory. Beautiful. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Another translation says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Is it, is God, has God set you free to put you to task? No. God has set you free just for the thrill of it. Just so you can be free. That's it. It's for freedom. That's why you're not a failure. It's just for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore. Stand firm, therefore. And don't get tied up again in slavery to the law like the Pharisee. For if you're trying to make yourselves right with God by keeping the law, you've been cut off from Christ. You've been stuck. You've been separated by your own understandings, right? You've fallen away from God's grace. But we who live by the Spirit eagerly wait to receive everything promised to us who are right with God through faith. Do you see it? But now we are free from the law, having been made dead to that which had power over us, so that we are servants in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the letter. Sin is no longer your master. For you are no longer subject to the law which enslaves you to sin. Instead, you are free by God's grace. Don't you realize that whatever you choose to obey becomes your master? You can choose sin, which leads to death, or you can choose to obey God and receive his approval. Thank God, once you were slaves of sin, but now you've obeyed with all your heart the new teaching God has given you. Now you are free from sin, your old master, and you've become slaves to your new master, righteousness. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus' purpose is to give life to its full, to all its fullness. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He's doing the work, and he's in charge of your trajectory. That's good news. Don't have to compare ourselves to each other. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus for the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you through Jesus Christ, through Christ Jesus, from the power of sin that leads to death. If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. But if the Holy Spirit controls your mind, there is life and peace. That last verse is this, isn't it? 
If your sinful nature controls your mind, there is death. It's time to get our mind in the right place, right? And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't, life can't, angels can't, demons can't, fear can't, worries, even the power of hell can't keep away, can't keep us from God's love. We could go on and on. There are so many passages. This is just a few. We could just go on and on and on and on and on. But the point is, Jesus has set us free from the bondage of sin. It's not our master anymore. You're not stuck. It's just a perception. There is truth and a lie. That's all there is. Sin does not separate us from him. Do you know that sin doesn't really bother Jesus? Because <laughs> he overcame it. So he's quite comfortable with you. Yes, yes, he's holy and we need to stop sinning. Yes. But, <laughs> first things first. We wrestle but we wrestle with Jesus hand in hand with him and he gives us the keys to conquer it. We're, we're not stuck. We're not alone. We're with him. I could just go on and on. I'm just saying the same thing over and over, aren't I? <laughs> but does your mind hear it today? Freedom from sin. It's a thing. <laughs> it's legit. It's not just words. It's power. When we look through the narratives of Luke, as we're coming up, you know, we're going to continue in Luke for the coming months, years. <laughs> I don't know, Kurt, how long? <laughs> years, he says. We're going to continue in Luke, and I would just put out for you, as you read the narratives, the stories of Luke, would you see yourself in Christ? Identify less with the ones who are struggling. <laughs> Identify more with the one who has the Spirit of God in him. Because he is the narrative of our lives. Yeah. If you want to today, when you leave church, we're going to leave that line there. If you want to symbolically go over to the sin system and just take a little step over, if you want to tear a little bit of it up, you can, if you'd like to do that. So when you leave today, if you could just leave through that other aisles and leave this center aisle kind of like at a wedding, you know. Just leave this center aisle open for people that just want to come and tear off a little piece, throw it in the trash if you want to. Whatever you want to do. If you need to do something symbolically today to say that line is out of my life, go ahead and do that. Does that sound good? Um, because we need to do that step here for a second. When I grow up, I want to preach like her. <laughs> you know, I'm not kidding you. I'm sitting back there with, with tears in my eyes going, I don't want to do that. You know, that's what's important. We're going to do an offering really quick now, but I'm, we're going to do it very quickly because I don't want to spoil the moment. We should have done the offering before. I knew that I want to stick with what you had in your heart when we talked. Okay. So, Lord, thank you in Jesus' holy and precious name. Receive from us this offering. Do give. Do pour out to him, okay? In Jesus' holy and precious name. Thank you, Lord. So go ahead and do this. Uh, there are things that are more important, but please do this because this is important too. But 
we're, we're going to take a moment here. We're not going to ask that everybody do this because if you don't want to do this because it's not your cup of tea, that's fine. Don't do it. But I do want to do something because she had something in her heart and we couldn't quite figure it out, but I had a, a way of, of doing it. I just want you to do this. If, you're, if you need to go, I love you. We're done. Worship, if you could come up and just play a little music behind. We're not going to do a final song. Okay, just, just put a little music behind here. Uh, but what I want to do is, is if you need to leave, thank you. Go into the lobby and say goodbye to people and talk and do that kind of stuff. And let's let this be a holy moment here. Okay, and here's why. Okay, when we actually stand up and do something with our bodies, in our brains, it takes it to a different place. You understand? When we take a moment and we act it out, as it's been acted out for us and our mirror, our, our, our mirror neurons have picked up on this. But when we actually put our own bodies into play in it, it seats it differently in our brains. It makes us understand it differently. It gets us to a different place in it. So for those of you who would like to take that moment, you don't have to. But if you're not going to, in love, see you next week, okay? Uh, but if you want to, I want you to do exactly what was in her heart. I want you to come over onto, I guess it's this side that I have to start with, right? I want you to come over here and grab a seat or do whatever, and just take as much time as you need. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you about what was happening in your life, that you're still stuck in that mentality, that you're still stuck in that place, in that old thing that he has totally demolished, destroyed on the cross, right? And let him speak to you. And when you're ready, then take your body and cross over. Take your mind and cross over, right? Then come to this other side and rejoice. Take a moment of freedom, right? Do this quietly and silently. Like I say, uh, this, end of this side of the church ought to be empty here in about a minute, okay? And make room, okay? And you can come up front and, and back and so on. But you catch the drift. And then let's just take a moment and let's do this as unto the Lord. Okay, so love you. God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, take this moment and let these words not just be words that come and then go because they're just words. Make these words our life. Make them part of our life. Make them something that we can hold on to and that you have planted more deeply in our brains, in our minds, in our understanding, in our hearts. That in Jesus' holy and precious name, we could be those who start living in freedom the fullness of freedom in Christ. Set us free today as you already have so long ago. In Jesus' holy and precious name. There'll be communion too you could take when you get to the other side. You could bring it across or do whatever you wanted to do, but that'd be a good way to take communion over here. All right, you got it? We got what we're doing? Thank you guys. Love you. Go Hawks. Okay, like I say, if you're going, go, but, but the rest, come on up and go across. <laughs>